0: Hello and welcome to the second of our three part series on the future of work, perhaps real estate's hottest topic right now. I'm Damien Wilde, and for this episode, we're going global, looking at the experiences of different markets around the world. As I said in episode one, the future of work is a topic which too often generates more heat than light. And if you've tuned in for hot takes, you'll leave disappointed, I hope. Instead, we'll be travelling from here in London to Australia and to Canada. We'll look at how and whether employees are returning to the office and how landlords are responding. We'll also look at what this means for development and the future of the office itself. I'm delighted and grateful, given time zone incompatibility, to be joined today by John lacoura Regional Head for APAC at Equium. Gilbert Yule, Estate and Customer Lead for Argent at King's Cross in London. Tom McClellan, Country Director for UK and Ireland at WiredScore; And Melanie Chin, Brand and Community Manager at Heinz. John is in Sydney, Melanie in Toronto, and the rest of us are in London. It's always difficult to summarise a market, but I'm going to ask each of you to do so anyway. What is each of your on-the-ground experience with tenants, with customers, partners, colleagues, friends and neighbours, governments even? Let's try and build up some countrywide pictures from the bottom up. John, can I start with you?
1: Uh, Yep, you can. I guess to give you a little bit of context, um, if if we're thinking about Australia, talking about Australia, probably best to talk about the two biggest markets here. Melbourne and Sydney. Um, Many of the other cities, um, in terms of occupancy, uh, weren't actually hugely impacted by COVID. Um, So the smaller cities are Sydney, Hobart, Adelaide, for example. So Sydney and Melbourne are each about 5 million square meters. That's uh, 50 million square feet of office stock. Um, We're in a good chunk of that. Um, Now, the March 2020, COVID hit very hard. And I think what the government did here um, was they 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 kind of uh, responded to that extremely quickly and extremely firmly. So we closed our borders on the 20th of March. I think we we're one of the, the first countries in the world to do that, to close our international borders. And we also also went into a big lockdown in Sydney and Melbourne, um, in particular, particular on the 13th of March. Um, Melbourne stayed in lockdown for most of last year, um, on and off, kind of opened up again um sydney opened up pretty quickly um immediately after going into lockdown you know our occupancy rates went down to sort of you know five to seven percent it was really just essential workers that was all Um, the experiences in the in the different cities of sydney and melbourne um were have been extremely different Um, in sydney where i'm based um you know life sort of eased back into a sort of a level of normality um over over a period of of several months. Um, but it did take quite a bit of time. Um, and it, we'll probably come on to this later. But what's really interesting is what um, the drivers were behind the rate of movement back to office buildings um, in Sydney. And I can talk about that a little bit later. But just to give you a bit more flavour um, for, you know, what's going on in the country. Um, Australia's obviously managed um, COVID very well by world standards. We've only had about 900 deaths in total, I think, um, over the entire period. Um, As a result of that, we've managed to get back to a degree of normality pretty quickly within our country. Um, Having said that, what we've not done very well is vaccinate. Um, And so what's happening now um, across Australia is we keep getting these lockdowns, state-by-state lockdowns, and... Um, Also, obviously, our international borders are still closed, with the exception of New Zealand. And our risk now um, is really um, related to the lack of uh, or or the rate at which we're vaccinating. Um, So we have, um, from a a trade perspective and a travel and communications perspective, we have um, issues um, internationally and also um, between states um, in relation to coming out of this whole COVID um, crisis. Um, in terms of where we sit um, across Australia now, um, in terms of occupancy, so Sydney is sitting at about 68% occupancy. Um, that's assuming like a 90% normality. Um, uh, Melbourne's at about 45%. M- Melbourne keeps going back into lockdown. Um, Sydney was 50% in November last year. So all we've, we've only seen it kind of creep up. And there's reasons for that. Um, I think that um, initially, uh, the reasons were all about um, health and safety and concerns in that arena. Um, and then they moved on to sort of government regulations. Um, and then after that, it became transport concerns. Um, and then we now the key driver in Australia um, around occupancy um, is actually people's preference as to where they want to work. And that's that's the challenge that I think we've all got. Um, globally now. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later as to what that means for the future of office. Um, but in our two main markets at the moment, we've got Sydney operating in, the, in a reasonable degree of normality. Um, Melbourne's still struggling because of um, significant um, uh, series of lockdowns. It keeps bouncing back and then getting knocked back.
0: That's a very full picture. And it's interesting how it's um, moved as well. And we will come back to some of those details, including preferences, which I suspect will be perhaps the biggest uh, topic today. Melanie, how are things in Toronto?
2: Um, Things in Toronto are getting better, but we're still not quite out of uh, the COVID lockdown. Um, Toronto, you know, has had probably one of the most restrictive lockdowns um, in the world for a major city. Um, We went into lockdown in March of last year and... Um, the running joke is that we were in a lockdown on top of a lockdown that was just recently locked down even further. So we're in varying uh, degrees of lockdown. Um, you know, indoor restaurants have been closed for over almost 400 days now. Um, so it's a very restrictive um, environment. But as, as of two weeks ago, patio dining opened up, which you know everyone is very excited about. And so we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, we know what our our reopening uh, plan looks like. It is based on vaccination rates. And I'm really happy to say that Ontario and Toronto has surpassed, you know, that benchmark. We need to get to the next phase. But it's really up to our government where if, you know, they'll change the roadmap a little bit and open up a little bit faster. um, Everyone is very hesitant to make plans for the future because of our government um, and, you know, the decisions that they're making—it's there's no true rhyme or reason uh, behind some of the restrictions that are in place, and so everyone's, you know, making plans, but knowing that that's probably going to change in the next few weeks because, you know, we'll get another curveball thrown at us. But, you know, it's it's becoming summer in Toronto, which is really when the city comes alive and people are really happy. And uh, so it's really great that we're coming out of lockdown during this time.
0: Re- really interesting. It struck me when when John was speaking there, <laughs> that those, those percentage percentages, occupancy op- percentages going from six, 7% to 45, 65, 68, I think he said. Are, are you measuring it in the same way in Toronto?
2: Um, occupancy, I think everyone is work from home. We had, we just came out of the stay at home order um, so occupancy would be at a minimum there, um, and people aren't really ready to welcome people back. So I don't think we have accurate numbers right now. To but that's what prepare. I that's what I
0: expected. Sort of assumed, yeah. assumed yeah. very low numbers. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Well, we'll we'll come back to some some of those points. Gilbert, how's how's your experience? How's it feeling in Kings Cross on the tube a, a day or two ago? It was standing room only. I wonder how that's translated
3: into um, into foot, footsteps on the ground. Yeah, and no, it's a it's a good place to start with the um, with the footfall numbers in some areas like um, CDY, which is our a uh, retail and B area we're seeing footfalls equivalent we we benchmark everything obviously now against 2019 and we're hitting those numbers as far as football is concerned again so king's cross as a public realm 67 acres 40 percent of it is is um, open space so that space never closed so it's always been opened we've always had that traffic coming through in our more office and commercial district of course numbers are down and uh, as as our other colleagues have been describing the the, the 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 you know stay at home order is effectively still in place and but our businesses are all opened for those people who feel the need to be it because of their role or be it because from a health and well-being perspective um, they're fed up of um, looking at their own four walls every day and want to come into the into the office space so King's Cross is very much open and um we spoke about um, uh, lunch. The restaurants are very busy, and some restaurants are seeing a 143% increase. We've had on some restaurants on 2019 trading figures, and that that that's just when we were alfresco dining as well. So the the the, the signs are good. We're we're waiting we're waiting for that directive to change, and you know the the stay at home order um, to lapse. Obviously, um, infection rates, we, there's, there's still just under 10,000 um, um, infections reported just um, um, today. Um, so the infections are still there. It looks like we've um, severed the cord between infection and hospitalisation, which is great. And so we're looking for, for, for more loosening up of, of the directive. But we're just working with our businesses, and speaking to them all the time, working with them. They are cautious followers. Um, is the way we like to describe them. Just because the directive changes, that doesn't mean our businesses will suddenly invite everybody into their offices. They have to go through their own processes and procedures because at the end of the day, the safety of their staff is paramount to them. So the signs are very good. And the the F&B and the retail uh, are doing very well. The uh, footfall on the ground in, in those areas is, is back to 2019 levels. Um, so it's a very positive outlook, um, especially now, um, we seem to have said that through the incredible vaccination programme, said that that connection between infection and hospitalisation.
0: But would you suspect that um, office occupancy is in single digits? So um, I'd suspect it is.
3: Um, but also, I think, I think where previously the lag, when we've had um, um, changes in the government directive, the speed at which people have come back has been um, uh, um, quite surprising um, to us. People really want to get back. They really want to engage. And most importantly, we're, we're talking to TfL and through our um, office forums, TfL are coming in uh, and, and talking to them. They're talking to them about the best times to travel. They've got all that data now. They can be very specific about that on the lines you come to. That's all available on their websites. People, of course, you know, nobody wants, nobody, everybody knows that that world of coming in five days a week, eight o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night is hopefully something of the past. And we can work much smarter going forward. But I think, I think, and again, this is a, this is a personal opinion from what I'm seeing out there that yeah. it's just waiting for that messaging to change, which we were hoping for. But we totally understand that maybe that wasn't the right time. But again, the press has been very positive and hoping that it could be as early as beginning of July when that directive changes, if not the 19th of July.
0: OK, thank you. And Tom, looking around and talking to the businesses that you deal with and your own business, for for that matter, your background is blurred. I suspect you're at home uh, though, to, to take a stab in the dark. What, what do you think is going on in, in the UK, beyond London as well, and in Ireland too?
4: Uh, yeah, thanks, David. I think uh, what Gilbert just described in London is a really accurate reflection of what we're hearing at Wired School. Um, we aren't, as you all know, direct owners of real estate, so we're sort of one removed from the stories you're hearing. We, we, we benchmark ourselves, I suppose, in terms of um, markets to, to what we hear from our clients. Um, so it's a pretty representative group here um, and what we're hearing in London is, is very much what, what Gilbert's just just outlined. Um, broadly similar across the UK too. It's really interesting hearing the differences from what's going on in Canada and and Australia and, and, and the UK. But we all seem to be sort of in the um, in, in the pockets of what our governments are telling us to do. Um, so we're we're sort of largely reactive to what we're being told by by other people. So um, as is the case in London across the UK, we're kind of waiting for that directive to change. Um, as Gilbert says, hopefully at the beginning of July, but it seems more likely to be kind of middle to the end of July, if, if, if you um, believe what you're reading and, and, and hearing from the various reports. Um, as a consequence of that, actually, I don't have too much to report from, from, from Ireland. Um, so the, the UK office, or uh, rather well, the office base in London, um, supports both the UK and, and Ireland at wide score. And we haven't been able to get anybody into the country since March last year. So even one further removed than I am in the UK as we are in Ireland. But purely from phone calls and catching up with kind of clients and um, contacts out there, they seem to be along the same, roughly the same pathway as the UK. So they're benchmarking themselves reasonably closely to the dates that the UK government is setting out. Um, And in terms of optimism and um, anecdotes where we're hearing, um, there's a similar kind of um, pent up um, angst to get back to offices as soon as people will basically let them. So it's really interesting to hear the, the um, how how things are one, removed, but also how, how similar things are across the markets in terms of waiting for something to happen, um, but not being able to do it yourself. You have to wait for someone else to do it. it
0: it's interesting, isn't it? I'm sure we could um, discuss shared lessons on managing a pandemic and managing a vaccination programme, but this probably isn't the podcast for that. Um, instead, it I, the government point is quite interesting because governments are keeping us from the office, but I suspect the message will flip at some stage and we'll be encouraged to return to the office. And whether whether people will listen to that message might be interesting to hear. John, do you think there's um, that that will have a, a positive effect or a consequential effect at least?
1: Yeah, look we've been in that position for some time in sydney and like it it, it gets switched on and off okay because you know we a new wave comes through and uh government regulations prevent us from going to work for a period of time but in the main it's been switched on and so we now have um federal government state government and quite a few kind of ownership groups set up um and and we play a part in this as well encouraging people back to the office So I think I totally agree with you, Gilbert, um, on your point about and and actually all of you people, uh, a lot of people having this um, need to get back to the office. They just had enough. They want to get back. They want They like. You know, there's a lot of reasons to be in the office. And we found that in Sydney. But then we found it stopped or it slowed down. So there's also groups of people who are very happy working at home. There's groups of people that used to travel an hour and a half each way to work. And then now can give the you know maybe an hour and a half back to the business and still have an hour and a half spare in the day. So there's a whole spectrum um, of of um, uh, people out there and and wants and wishes from those people. And as Gilbert said, that's that will have changed the the way that we work, um, certainly for the foreseeable future. But what we're seeing in um, Melbourne and Sydney from the government, um, state governments, which is interesting, is actually financial incentive to get back to the office. So uh, Melbourne ran a a scheme for a period of time on uh, like a Friday scheme. So you you basically got vouchers that you could spend um, as a resident in Melbourne in the city on a Friday. And Sydney is just launching a similar campaign. Um, Prior to that, um, like I've had vouchers, everybody was entitled to these $25 vouchers to spend in restaurants. Um, and also to spend in cinemas and and um, you know other sort of similar places just to get the activity going again. So my answer to your question is, yeah, absolutely, it does flip, and I think that um, you know that will continue to be the challenge for for our clients who are building owners is getting those numbers back up to where they were. And and I think there's an acceptance they won't get to where they were, but there's a lot of other moving parts in the um, in the equation as to you know how we fill office space um you know because obviously people are using that space differently now as well Um, you
0: think government has played a part in getting those numbers from six percent up to sixty something percent
1: i think they yes i don't think they're the primary driving factor though i think obviously the government they, they were the driving factor in stopping people coming to work okay but in bringing them back no i think that the um the biggest single thing was at the Front end, and it was around health, it was around the people's perception of safety and public transport. I think that was, you know, and getting that, getting those processes in place, and getting people comfortable, um, particularly with using public transport, um, that's been a major driver of getting people back to the office. In Sydney, for a while, our roads were were jammed. We were back to sort of pre-COVID uh, traffic congestion, and there was nobody on the trains and buses. And that's, that's taken a bit of time to, to, to shift as well. So, look, I think the um, both federal and state governments in Australia have been proactive and they have done things um, to improve the situation. But I, I think it's uh, at the end of the day, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid of a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of it relates to the, the corporates themselves. Um, in Melbourne, for example, and, and in Sydney as well, we have a lot of companies that are globally owned and, you know, they will mandate that they don't want their people in the office, for example. And so that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of lot of different drivers.
0: Interesting. Melanie, you're at a much earlier stage in seeing people ret- return to the office. But um, do, do you recognise the, the experience of Australia there? Do you think it'll be similar steps that persuade people to start going back in?
2: I mean, I myself would love vouchers to go to the restaurants and to go and, you know, enjoy life again. Um, I don't think that... Uh, we'll see that there's such a hunger to be out and to be doing things that um, I don't think we will need to be incentivized to do that. I think um, for my tenants at CIBC Square, uh, we're in a unique position where we were wrapping up construction when COVID hit. And so no one's really been able to come to the office. Because they haven't been able to move in yet because we've been impacted. And um, we're this new international standard of community in the in the building and so there's a lot of you know drivers for people to come into the office so that they can explore this new space and i think that will really help our tenants uh, when they are starting that return to work conversation with their employees they can you know boast about these different features and amenities of the building to really get them there and um, a lot of my focus right now is to help my tenants with that conversation and making sure that um, they're equipped with the tools to make the office they seem enticing to um, to their employees, and I think um, I think that might be the, the incentive to come back because we are a truly one of the kind uh, property here. We have a a one acre park that cantilevers over the railroad tracks, which is the first um, of our kind. And so, you know, you can have that. You know, if you are used to working out in your backyard or working out of your backyard, you can come do that. But on the park, so you're kind of in the office, but not really in the office, and You know, we have, you know, flexible workspaces within the towers um, that you can easily transition back to regular um, work life without giving up some of the comforts that you've developed while you were at home in COVID. Um, So I think for my tenants, that is the incentive to come back. And that's how we're going to entice people. But uh, for the city as a whole, I, I do know a lot of global companies that have gone permanent work from home. And it's. You know, I don't think, that, you know, those employees are going to be working from home. They're going to look to work from something like a co-working facility like WeWork or Workhouse or Spaces um, because they they're just so you know tired of being at home and they want a different environment and they want connections. And you're not really going to get that in, you know, condos in Toronto are very small. You're not really going to get that there. And so people were craving that.
0: OK, Let, let's get on to that. Let's get on to um, how how people might return to the office. And, and Tom, the, you know, there's been a number of um, of key points in this discussion. I think everyone turned towards HSBC first when it said it was cutting its global office footprint by 40 percent. And in recent days in the UK, Deloitte said it's going to go uh, remote first forever which is, um, I think it was called a Jedi move by, uh, by one commentator I saw that is bound to force McKinsey, um, PWC, KPMG and others to follow suit. We always look for easy answers in this um, debate and one direction of travel. But do you, where do you think that's gonna push us? Are we gonna land in the middle two and three or is it gonna be a very dip, com- complex picture?
4: Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's a very timely conversation for Wired School in the UK actually, because we are uh, between offices. So we are, we are waiting on restrictions to, to change, to allow us to, to go back. We're also at the same time determining um, how we should do that as a business um, broadly because we have an office in New York, an office in Paris, in Frankfurt, Berlin, and, um, and in the UK. So we're trying to set a company um, global policy, but also within that, tinker with what we can do in um, London in the coming weeks and months. Um, and I think there's probably two things that I'll touch on. One is that... We know whatever we do isn't going to be perfect first time, so we are approaching this with a degree of flexibility and knowing we're going to have to adapt, um, and the one way we've approached it um, globally, but also but also from a very um, you know, um, London view, London office viewpoint as well, is to kind of do it in, in, in three phases. So one is to consult with our workforce to understand how they feel about um, returning to the office. Um, There's going to be a really broad spectrum of responses, I'm sure, across every business. There certainly was at Wired School. I think expectations and feelings about being in office day-to-day have been reset entirely in the last 12 and 15 months. Um, And the way people feel today versus the way people feel a week after they're back in the office to a year after they're back in the office, I think they're going to change dramatically as well. So we're accepting there's going to be inherently some adaptability in whatever we do. We've consulted with, with the team and, and, and got a feel for how they feel now. Um, we've created a policy which is that from the day we are allowed back in, which we currently we're expecting to be the 19th of July, we will enter a ramp-up or a trial phase. So people could come back in kind of as and how they wish. Um, they should communicate with their sort of team leads to understand you know, different teams work in different ways. So you're understanding how the team can best work rather than just the individual. So, it, so it's all about individuals within teams within the business to try to build in real flexibility um, across the organization and how people want to be able to work as much as how they expect to be able to work. Um, And then we're saying from September, we're hoping that that six-week phase is sufficient time to trial new ways of working to allow a a, a more discreet policy to be set up, Um, and we're aiming for uh, three days in the office uh, versus two days working from home split at that point but we're really understanding that for six weeks or so there has to be um, a bedding in phase where people just familiarise themselves with how, what it is to be in the office again, what it is to commute, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so try to put in some real um, adaptability and empathy situation because it's, it's going to be people going to feel very, very different about this um, according to personality and according to the kind of work they do um, and obviously where they are across the world as well.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, Gilbert, for a moment there, I thought Tom was going to say when he said he was between offices that, that that they may not be taking an office at all. But clearly, that's not the case. But I know with one of your tenants, uh, New London Architecture, they are a fairly small business. They are going nomadic, aren't they, for a period, co- coincidentally. Uh, but they're, they're starting with your space as well. Presumably, that's an outlier. But do you see other businesses making quite Bold, dramatic decisions anytime soon about how they they approach having an office.
3: I, I think one one of the things we've learned, um, both as occupiers, which we are, as Argent in Kings Cross, and also as um, asset managers, is that agility and flexibility is 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 what it's all about. Nobody nobody really knows what the future is going to bring, and I think. The model that they've adopted is a great one. Who knows? They may they may stay with us and have another app, you know, our satellite post and um, elsewhere. But as far as as far as people coming back, I think Melanie touched on it quite well there. So, the, the the focus for us is is as much on the office space, but but even more so on place. So, people aren't going to come back just to walk into an office, see their colleagues for a couple of weeks, think actually this, I'm better off at home, as John was saying, that it's soon, it's soon that the the novelty will soon fade. So we've, when the guys were saying to me, is this the right time to launch a a customer platform with Equium, of course it is. We use work email addresses, we're talking to our occupiers already, and we know some of them are coming in because we've got art exhibitions, we've got the fountains back on, we've got Wimbledon on on the big screen opposite the canal so it's about this this all those sums of everything that your place has and how you optimize those so that's what's going to be make people stay and think well actually i've got i can do yoga beside the canal this morning it's a lovely morning i'll go into the office i'll work from the office today so that's 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 the real challenge we have to work so much harder now as as asset managers to ensure people have got more reason to come to the places that we're creating. So that's what we'll endeavor to do, working very closely with them and having the tools to communicate with them remotely every single moment of the day about what we're doing to encourage them back into the space.
0: Come for the yoga, stay for the office. Exactly. There we are, you've done it again, Damien. Just into a nutshell. I love
1: that, but you did it far better than I can. Thank you.
3: (laughs)
0: John, presumably, that that means that landlords and others are going to be poring over data to try and spot yeah, trends, spot trends, and but try not to be
1: too reactive as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, and I mean, this is a bit of a personal view, but I I think it's generally accepted as well. I, like, the power is with the individual, right? It was a growing trend anyway, and and COVID just pushed it. So, um, you know, the, the future is really um focusing on what individuals want. Um, The reason I say the power is with the individual is that, of course, they've got more choice than ever now. As an individual, if you don't want to go to the office, actually, you probably don't need to go, right? And so if your office isn't a very nice place to be, you're going to find somewhere alternative to go or you're not going to work for that company. And so, you know, that pushes a couple of things. One is a flight to quality. But the second is creating places physically and experientially that people want to be. And and the fact is, if you can't do that, they're not going to come. And there is an expectation now. I mean, the the, um, industry that Equium, I suppose, kicked off 10 years ago is now, uh, you know, it is a global industry and there's an expectation um, amongst, you know, end office occupiers that they're going to have more than a little office in the corner to sit in. There's going to be more to life. And so I I think, um, you know, um, Gilbert, you know, you put that really well. Um, in terms of what we have to do um, in order to make um, workplaces appealing um, in, a, in, a, in a way that is enduring um, for the future, and, and that is experiential as well as as well as physical, it's a faci- you know it, it's actually it's a fascinating thing because it goes to psychology as well, and it goes to your point about data. What do people like? What you know? Why do they want to be there? Why do they come? What rings their bell? Um, and just to touch on that so yes absolutely again you know my personal view we've we've collected data for 10 years we've got huge amounts of it we're beginning to draw some really interesting insights out of that data but oh, we've got a long long way to go we've got we've got so far to go and um, most building owners most of our clients we work with uh, they're aware of this and you know they have their own view on how this data should be collected how it should be analyzed and what information it can be can provide, um, but there's, there is absolute value in it um, but also a lot for everybody to learn I think, you know, it, it, nobody's cracked this, nobody's cracked it and um, we've still got a lot, lot of moving parts to play with
0: Thank you, and uh, Tom when, when you're looking at data and looking at what to measure and wide score is expanding w- what it measures what do you look for to assess the to assess the success or failure of return to work which i guess is subjective in itself but um but what what are the the data points that you choose to measure
4: yeah it's 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 a very topical question for us i mean we we two months ago launched smart score which is our sort of newest product so biorigin wide score has rated the digital connectivity of buildings, and two months ago, we launched Smart School, which which is built and designed to rate how smart buildings are, as you can probably imagine. Um, And we did that in collaboration with the WISE School Smart Council, and we pulled together sort of 50 to 60 stakeholders within uh, the built environment, from landlords and tenants to technologists, engineering practices, et cetera, um, to help us define what a smart building was, um, to enable us to then rate what a smart building was. and the very clear feedback we got from the market and also drawing on our own experience of doing wide score for the last six or seven years was that the most critical data points you have is the outcomes you're delivering to users so the people who are engaging with the space and as all users not just focusing on on the tenants or just on the investors within um, who are part of the landlord um, structure or just focusing on the on on the fms for instance It's, it's about looking at everyone um, in, in a very holistic sense, who um, engages with the built environment that you're creating and understanding what you are trying to deliver to them and whether it's to their benefit and it's the outcomes that they want to appreciate in your space. Um, so in a nutshell, David, is really, really been laser focused on the outcomes you're delivering to users and trying to be holistic in your assessment of what, what that should be. So trying to think about everyone, as as Gould was talking about, as you sort of wonderfully phrased, yoga, then, then the office. It's, it's. you know, there are different people coming to the estates and to buildings at different times of the day, at different days of the week now, with, with more hybrid policies coming into play. Um, you have to be able to cater for everyone at all times, and people are coming in for very, very different reasons. Um, you used to be able to, I think, um, dictate or um, forecast the type of person that would be coming to your office five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and be pretty consistent um and rely heavily on that kind of image that you'd built up i don't think that's the case anymore you really need to be really holistic in how you're thinking about what you're doing and every time start have have your north star as the as as the user understand what they want and then work back from there so i think that's probably the key data points and, and and the winners in the post-covid world within real estate will be those who who latch on to that best um and are prepared to update their views of what that is frequently and that's the data point that john was talking about having the data to be able to do that is really really important
0: thank you melanie sticking with this data theme before before we wrap up uh, looking at what was an occupationally efficient building two years ago i imagine was a lot simpler than it's going to be looking at what is an occupationally efficient building next year
2: yes um
0: and do you have a view on on what's that sh- what that has shifted from and to?
2: I also think that there's so much that's happened in in the past year, you know, with COVID and you know racial discussions and equi- equity too. That what people want from a building and an environment and what um, is important to them has shifted a lot. And so it's understanding what is important to people now, and so that. You know, when they come back to the office, they think that it's a really great environment. Um, you know, people just, they want to feel safe and they want to feel included in a space, right? And so how do you create an inclusive environment for everyone? I know you can't hit hit the nail on the head for that, but, like, what what um, are you doing to create that space? And, it's you know, like Tom said, you don't know who's coming into the building anymore, but can you create things that really resonate with people so you can... Bring that draw. And I think that is like one of the big focuses of, for me and having that North Star thing. Okay, this is what we want to create. This is the type of environment we want to create. This is, you know, we want to create a really great, inclusive community. How do we do that? And then the people will come after that. And um, so that is how I'm measuring success in my building um, for the community that we are trying to create. And sometimes it is really hard to quantify that. Um, because it, it does rely on sentiment a lot more, um, but I think that's where we are trending because it, it does stem from connecting some experiences and that is what we're trying to create in the office environment these days.
0: Okay, I'm afraid we're out of time. We didn't even get on to uh, development versus refurbishment and how, how that might be impacted by um, by some of the trends we've experienced over the last year. But no doubt, we will talk about that another time. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Tom. Uh, thank you, Gilbert. And thank you, John. And so, so great to have the view uh, from so many parts of the world again. So I appreciate that. And thank you to um, Widescore and Ecrim for their, their support for this podcast as well. I hope you enjoyed that, those of you listening in, and don't miss part three coming to your airwaves soon.